0: Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Jeremy. I get to be one of the pastors here, and I'm glad uh, that we're together on this day. Uh, grateful uh, that our church is made up of all different kinds of people, all different kinds of ages. Uh, grateful, uh, well, as Joe pointed out in Sunday school today, some of you are old, uh, and uh, grateful that God has brought old people, young people, uh, all kinds of people into this church family. Our hope is that those young people uh, walking here and leaving palm branches right there would come to acknowledge really what was being acknowledged as palm branches uh, were taken and laid down on a road, that Jesus is the King and that they are in desperate need of a Savior. That's what we want our kids to know more than anything else. They are in desperate need of a Savior and Jesus is that Savior and Jesus is the King. We want our young people to know that last week uh, i 'm so glad that uh, we had a lot of kids here last week, so if you saw on the wall in the back on your way in where we were last week, that was just sermon notes from last week. I gave out sheets of paper to all the kids that like eighteen and under, and we 've got forty eight that turned them back into me and so Kirsten put them up on the wall back there. If you want to see what did we cover last week in pictures, great artwork on the back there uh, by. 48 who turned those in last week. So, so grateful um, for that, grateful for kids, and grateful that we can together open up God's Word and see what He has for us. Uh, It is Palm Sunday. I'm grateful that Pastor Nick read that passage to us, that we could cry out, save us, God, uh, in the songs that we sang together today. Uh, But I didn't want to. He read from Luke 19, and it would feel kind of strange to jump from Jesus' Age 12, where we were last week, and then just jump ahead to Palm Sunday. We will have a Good Friday service on Friday and, and an Easter service on Sunday where we'll shift gears. But I decided for Palm Sunday this week and this year, instead of skipping ahead to Luke 19, we're just going to go to the next passage uh, and then plan to get together on a Good Friday and Easter Sunday. So that's what we're doing today. That means we're in Luke chapter 3. If you kind of are doing a timeline of things, we're skipping ahead about 20 years from where we were last week, and it's about four years before the triumphal entry that Pastor Nick was reading to us about that that Christians recognize on Palm Sunday. So John and Jesus are now adults, and most of the passage is going to be about how John prepared people for salvation in Jesus. And this is going to prompt us to be seeing how God calls us likewise to prepare people for salvation in Jesus. Along the way we're going to hear a lot about baptisms and we'll end with actually Jesus baptism in the Jordan which will prepare us well for Good Friday and point us ahead to the baptisms we're going to do here on Sunday morning Easter Sunday next week. So. Uh, looking forward to looking at this. We are going to go Luke chapter 3 verses 1 through 22 today. Longer passage. I don't want us to miss some important things and so I'm just going to read the first six verses right now and I'll read the rest as we walk through the rest of the sermon. So if you're able to, would you stand as we read the very word of God. I'll start just Luke 3, 1 through 6 right after we pray. And God, we do pray because uh, we need you. We need your help. I need you if I'm going to clarify uh, what it is you're saying in your word. I thank you that ultimately it's not my job, that that I thank you that you've given me this task of preaching, but I thank you that your Holy Spirit dwells in every believer to help us to see what what you have for us in your word. And so would you work by your Spirit now, help me to have uh, meditations in my heart uh, and words from my mouth that are pleasing in your sight? And I pray that you would cause, uh, cause it to fall on good soil here. That as the word is scattered, that it would grow fruit. Maybe that we see this week or maybe in years to come. God, we do pray uh, for a bunch of young people in this church to grow to know that Jesus is king. And they are desperately in need of a savior. And only Jesus can be that. In his name we pray. Amen. Luke chapter 3 verses 1 through 6. God's Word says this, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the Word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low. The crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Amen. You can be seated. We do put I uh, put together inside your bulletin a sermon notes life group guide. I invite you to use that if it's helpful for you to take notes as we go through, and you'll see the passage broken down in there. This first section I'm just calling the prophesied preparer proclaims the word of God. The prophesied preparer proclaims the Word of God. You'll remember, as we've gone through Luke, that back in chapter 1 was the last time we heard about John. He was just being born back then. So, so now he's an adult, around 30 years old, and so we heard of John, and remember, he was an answer to prayer in two major ways. Do you remember this? He was an answer to prayer because there was an older couple, uh, the Bible says advanced in years couple, right, named Zechariah and Elizabeth, who had been unable to have children and were praying that God would give them children. And in their old age, God answered their prayer, and John was the answer to that prayer. Additionally, God's people had been waiting, not just for a lifetime, but for generation after generation, for centuries, for the prophecy of Isaiah to be fulfilled. The prophecy that said, there will be one who will come, who will be one that prepares the way for the Lord, a prophet that was yet to come. But for 400 years, no prophets sent by God to Israel until John. And so, so we jump in, and I don't want us to see. And Now, John, if you notice that Luke here, because he is a skilled historian, is making clear that, that this, this happened at a certain time in history. And so you notice those things in verses 1 and 2, uh, all of these different, like, They didn't have a year that they could just say it was on this year. So he has to do during this reign, these people were high priests, he was the governor, all of that stuff, which helps us to narrow it down to the years 28, 29 AD. Okay, so that's the timeline that we get from verses 1 and 2. But the key to this opening section is right there at the end of verse 2. Look at the end of verse 2 where it says this, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah in the wilderness. This is what God's people had been waiting for for 400 years that the Word of God might come to them and now is the time. The Word of God has come to John, son of Zechariah in the wilderness and then Luke includes this extended quote from Isaiah chapter 40. That was the prophecy from 700 years earlier of one who would come and he would prepare the way for the Lord. He would help people to see salvation in God. right? And so it tells us the method of him doing this. So, so that quote is really from verses 4 through 6. Verse 3 really introduces us to the heart of the message of John, who we now call John the Baptist. Not because of his denominational affiliation, uh, but because we try to distinguish him from John the Lutheran. No, just kidding. From John the from John, the, the, the disciple of Jesus. This is a different John, right? So we call him John the Baptist. The only reason we call him that is because he was baptizing people, which we'll see here in a little bit. What's he proclaiming? A baptism. So we're going to hear a lot about baptism in this passage of repentance, right? Uh, repentance we're going to hear about in this passage and forgiveness of sins. Yep, so we're going to hear about those things in this passage more as we go on. But what we have in verses 1 through 6, the prophesied preparer proclaims the word of God. All right, now, we're going to zoom in. That's really kind of the big picture. Here's how John fits into everything that we've seen, everything that God's people have been waiting for. Here's how it's fulfilled in some, in part, beginning to be fulfilled in John. Now, we're going to zoom in and see a little clearer snapshot of what did John's ministry look like? What does it look like for John to proclaim the word of God and what happens when he does it? Okay? That's what we have in verses 7 through 14. In verses 7 through 14, we see John pointing out sin and calling for repentance. We were introduced to the heart of this message in verse 3, but now we're going to get a more detailed version. When I was in seminary in the early 2000s, so uh, got done with college and wasn't prepared at all to be a pastor, but called by God to pastoral ministry. Uh, So I knew I needed to go get more education, went to a seminary, and what was kind of towards the tail end of the the height of the seeker-sensitive movement, okay? And the seeker-sensitive movement in churches was basically the idea in evangelical churches that worship services were intended to attract non-believers. And so everything in the worship service seemed to get like tailored to how are we going to make this attractive, palatable to people that aren't believers. There's maybe a couple of good things that came out of it. In the end, I think a lot of not so good things came out of it. The gospel ended up getting watered down, I think, in many cases. Grateful that that's not really the, the mo- m- main operation of how the evangelical church is working today. Regardless, John lived before that time, and he was certainly not seeker-sensitive. Okay? Look at the intro to this message. Verse 7. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? That's how he gets started. He he attracted crowds, John did, but not by watering things down. He told it like it was. They were sinners. He calls them a brood of vipers, snakes. And he was making sure that they knew what he was saying. There was wrath coming. God was going to judge sinners, and they were sinners. And that's the way he begins his messages. And then he's going to call for repentance. And he's going to let them know here in verses 8 and 9 that now the crowd, just so you know, the crowd coming out to him, the crowd attracted to hear this man out in the wilderness, right? So this isn't like kind of, you know, a lot in the seeker sensitive movement, that was like churches in the suburbs. So people were flocking to the suburbs. They're trying to attract people that are already moving in. What John's doing, he's going out into the countryside, and people from the city are coming out of the city to listen to John in the wilderness. Right? Most of these people, almost all of these people, have a background in Judaism. They have both an ethnic and religious background in Judaism. They're Jewish people, and many of them, it seems, are coming out thinking that they're okay because of their Jewish background, their Jewish, Jewish ethnic—that's hard to say—Jewish ethnicity and their Jewish faith and their Jewish practice, their law keeping. Right. So they think that they're probably okay with God. But they're the ones that John is calling a brood of vipers and warning them of the wrath to come. And so listen to what he says then in verses 8 and 9. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Right? That's what a Jewish person would say. Like Abraham is my father. I'm descended from him. I am of the chosen people. Right? Do not begin to say that, he says, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, making it very clear to them, don't you think for a moment that the family you were born into is what's going to save you? Not going to happen, right? So, so you hear John's message beginning and then he's going to get very specific. I think a good preacher does this sometimes just doesn't just kind of keep things general but gets really specific and that's what he's going to do here in verses 10 through 14. He's not only going to call for repentance he's he's like not just hey generally you're sinners and generally you should turn from your sin. No he's going to get really specific. Look at verses 10 through 14. Three different crowds he's addressing. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. So so it wasn't normal for the crowds gathered there, even though they had a religious faith, they weren't generous to people around them. And he tells them, you want to know what repentance looks like? Start being generous to the people around you. Verse 12, tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him. So these would have been people that were more ostracized by the, the crowd because they were kind of like selling out to the Romans, right? They were, they were tax collectors on the fringe of society. What does he tell them? They say, teacher, what shall we do? Verse 13, and he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do because it was normal for a tax collector to to ask for more or to demand more than what they were actually to give to the Roman government so they would get rich themselves. And he's telling them, you can't do that, right? Verse 14, soldiers also asked him, and what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. So you see how John is targeting these different groups of people that have come out. He's not just saying, hey, just generally admit that you're a sinner. He's getting right in their business and pointing out the ways in which they are particularly sinners and calling them to repent of their particular sins. So that's what we see John doing in verses 7 through 14, pointing out sin and calling for repentance. Now, a couple of times already we've seen baptism come up one of the things that he's doing, he's not just preaching, he's also baptizing out there in the wilderness. Again, he's in the region of the Jordan, so there's a river right there providing some water for him to do baptisms. We're going to talk more about this later. And just a quick note right now, this is not the same kind of baptism that we do today on the other side of the birth, life, death, resurrection of Jesus. Okay? This is a different kind of baptism that he's doing out there In the wilderness. Baptism just meant an immersion or a cleaning in which something would be fully immersed or dipped or cleansed in water. In that day, baptism wasn't something John just invented. It was already being done. It wasn't something Christians invented, right? Baptism was something that would have been done among those who were Gentiles who desired to convert to Judaism. And the implication was, you're dirty, you're a dirty Gentile. If you want to come into our faith, there needs to be some kind of cleansing. And so, so baptism would have been what they would have done, a symbolic cleansing that prepared them uh, to enter into this new faith. And so John is saying, this is what's kind of revolutionary, John's not saying this to quote-unquote dirty Gentiles. He's talking to Jewish people. And he's telling them, you also need to be baptized. You too are dirty right? So I told you, not a very seeker-sensitive kind of dude. Let's look at verse 15 and notice how he continues. Just a note before we start reading verses 15 and following. This is a spectacle, okay? It's been 400 years without a prophet in Israel. This is not just run-of-the-mill, the kind of thing that happens all the time. 400 years without hearing a word from God until this one right now. And and the last words of the last prophet Malachi were that one like Elijah would be coming. And interestingly, we don't hear it here in Luke, but in the other gospel accounts, we are told that John dressed kind of interestingly. He wore hair of an animal and, and a leather belt around his waist. And we're also told in the Old Testament that Elijah did the same thing. So when the prophecy was one like Elijah is coming and he comes dressed like Elijah, used to be dressed, people are like, oh, this, we know who this one is, right? So this is a momentous occasion. This is a spectacle. Like I said, people coming from the city out into the wilderness just to hear this guy preach and some of them to be baptized by him. So, expectations are high john is getting a lot of attention right he's he's going viral at this moment some even wonder if he might be the christ himself but listen to what he says verses 15 to 18 as the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning john whether he might be the christ john answered them all saying I baptize you with water but he who is mightier than I is coming the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire so with many other exhortations he preached good news to the people. You notice how John is contrasting himself with Jesus? People are wondering, oh, is this maybe the Christ? And he is very clear, uh-uh, I am not the Christ. He, he makes sure that they know one who is coming is mightier than I. You think I've got some kind of power in my words? i, I got nothing compared to the mighty one coming after me. You think I'm worthy of you coming out to the wilderness? Uh, the one coming after me is so worthy, I'm not even worthy to stoop down and, and untie his sandals for him. Right? He's making it clear to them that Jesus is much better than him. He even compares their baptism. I'm just baptizing you, I'm immersing you in water. He's going to come and he is going to immerse you in. He is coming. to to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He's talking about salvation, and he's talking about judgment. Right? John doesn't have that kind of power at all. He's just baptizing people in water, but Jesus comes to baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. Again, more on that here in a little bit. What exactly does that mean? The good news that John preaches, though, is not about himself. What about the Christ? who is mighty, who is worthy, who is savior, who is judge, right? John is none of those things, and he knows it, right? He he knows, I'm not mighty, I'm not worthy, I'm not savior, I'm not judge, but one coming right after me is. And remember what John's job is, prepare the way for the Lord. How's he doing it? By pointing out sin, calling to repentance, and pointing to Jesus. That's what he's doing right here, pointing to Jesus. Now, That makes him super popular, and his life goes really well after that, right? I mean, he's doing exactly what God called him to do. So it should be smooth sailing for all the rest of his life. Well, let's read verses 19 and 20. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. Well, I, I guess it doesn't just go swimmingly because he's doing, he's doing what God called him to do. He's willing to tell a man in power that he is sinning before a holy God. Where does that get him? Locked up in prison. All right. I love John. Uh, we'll talk more about that here in a little bit. But I want us to finish out this passage by looking at an interesting text, verses 21 and 22. So we've heard of baptism in the water by John, all sorts of sinners coming out and and willingly being baptized. We've heard of Jesus' baptism in the Holy Spirit and fire, and now look what we see in verses 21 and 22. Let's just read it. Now, when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven you are my beloved son with you I am well pleased we'll get back to verse 21 here in a second but just note the beauty of verse 22 what are we seeing there in verse 22 we're seeing the whole trinity right Jesus the son baptized in the water the Holy Spirit descending. Now, now it's not an actual dove that comes down. It's in a form like a dove, right? It says like a dove there, But, but there's some sort of visual thing that Jesus can see representing the Holy Spirit descending and a voice that can be heard not only by Jesus, but according to Matthew, by the crowds as well that that he hears the voice of the Father from heaven saying these beautiful words, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Father speaking from heaven like a stamp of approval here at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. This is the Messiah. This is the one God has chosen. This is the beloved Son. Don't you think that was good not only for the crowds to hear, but for Jesus to hear? This affirmation, this confirmation as He goes to do His public ministry. So the Son gets to see the Spirit descending, gets to hear the voice of the Father. Here we have all of the Trinity, one God, three persons, all there here at Jesus' baptism. But you should be asking the question, wait, I thought you said that the people being baptized by John were baptized because they knew they were sinners. That's what the ones willing to be baptized were the ones who knew they were sinners who needed to be cleaned up. Why is Jesus being baptized? Right? What we know Jesus is without sin. Jesus is not a sinner. He's the perfect son of God, fully human but perfect as well. So why is Jesus being baptized by John if Jesus never sinned? Here's the short answer to that. Jesus was not baptized because he was identifying himself as a sinner, but Jesus was being baptized to identify himself with sinners. Say that again. Jesus is being baptized by John, going through John's baptism, not to identify himself as a sinner, but to identify himself with sinners. Jesus acknowledging, even at this point in his ministry, that his ministry is to come and to stand in the place of sinners as our representative and as our substitute. I think it's the foreshadowing of the gospel already the first time we see Jesus as an adult here. Dale Ralph Davis puts it this way. I think it's just uh, well said, so I'm going to just quote him. The shadow of the cross falls across the waters of the Jordan. In his baptism, Jesus commits himself to take the sinner's place. So I think this is where we see the gospel most clearly in this passage. Jesus has come, and we see this from the very beginning of his ministry, to take the place of sinners, to identify with sinners. And we could spend way more time on that, and that's what we're going to do on Friday. So if you're available, Friday 7 p.m., come back for communion uh, and a message from Isaiah 53 that points out Jesus as our substitute. And then, come back on Sunday, as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, and observe a couple of baptisms. Now, I told you, I've been, I've been like kind of holding off, like, i got to explain some baptism stuff here, because baptism shows up a lot in this passage, and it can ye- be uh, confusing pretty quickly. So, I put together something to help my mind kind of get around all of that, a little, little chart, little table, uh, that's probably oversimplified, but hopefully helpful for you. Okay? So we're seeing baptism show up a lot of times here, and here's what we're seeing. Let's, let's go to the first one up there, John's water baptism. We already talked about this. People are coming out and identifying as sinners. The purpose of John's baptism is repentance, right? Helping people to acknowledge, I'm a sinner who needs to turn around. What it looks like is immersion in water. That's what baptism just meant. It was not even a religious word, really. It was just an immersing, a dipping, right? So it looked like immersion in water. They're doing it at the Jordan River. We see it here in Luke chapter 3. Does does the baptism of John, is that a baptism that people are still doing today? No, it's not. Because it was unique to that time before the death and resurrection of Jesus. So we're not doing baptism in the same way that John did baptism, You'll see as you go through the rest of the Gospels and Acts, people are confused sometimes about what about John's baptism, right? They're trying to understand, well, this other baptism that you're doing now, that doesn't look exactly like John's, and that's true. They're different, right? Different time in history. This was before the death and resurrection of Jesus. But remember, he also refers ahead to this baptism by the Holy Spirit and fire that Jesus will do. Baptism by the Holy Spirit and fire. What's what's the purpose of that? I think he's really kind of talking about two different things. He's talking about baptism by the Holy Spirit, baptism in the Holy Spirit, which is salvation, and then baptism by fire, which is judgment. And Jesus comes to do both. It is through Christ that, that believers are baptized in the Holy Spirit, Now, there would be some churches that would teach, this is like a separate event from conversion, like later on in your Christian walk, you can be baptized by the Holy Spirit. I think the clearest teaching of Scripture is that baptism of the Holy Spirit is another way of talking about being saved. We are immersed in, consumed by the Holy Spirit upon the moment of our salvation. And so, as Jesus comes, he comes to save sinners, and when sinners are saved, they are baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus also comes to separate. He, come, he will come again as judge. And that's why right after this talk about Jesus baptizing with the Holy Spirit and fire, there's this talk about a winnowing fork in his hand. He's going to you know, throw up the, the grain and the, the wheat will fall to the ground and he'll gather that together, but the chaff is going to blow away and that will eventually be burned with unquenchable fire. Certainly referring to judgment, right? Yeah. So does that kind of make sense? Baptism with the Holy Spirit and fire, that's salvation and judgment. So that is more internal, uh, kind of internal and eternal, right? That's, that, so we don't see that. Like we, we, can't, we can see the effects of it, but it's not something as visible as water baptism, right? So is that happening now? Yes, now. God is saving people even now, and Jesus will come back to judge. That's happening yet in the future. Okay? Then, we've got Jesus being baptized. Well, Jesus isn't being identified as a sinner, but like we said, Jesus is, being, is identifying himself with sinners. So in the one case, it's repentance. In Jesus' case, it's substitution. And again, it looks like immersion in water. We see it in Luke chapter 3, verse 20. Does this happen now? No. Because Jesus isn't on earth in the way that he was at that time. And then... Here's what makes it confusing, right? So we're talking about all these different baptisms. Now you're going to come back next Sunday and you're going to see people be baptized. Are we doing John's baptism? No, we don't live at that time in history. Are we doing baptism with the Holy Spirit and fire? No, we can't see that. And, and, and Jesus' judgment is yet to come, right? So baptism in our day is simply this. Sinners identifying with Jesus as Savior. In a way that they couldn't. So people acknowledging I'm a sinner, And in baptism, I'm identifying myself publicly with Jesus, who lived and died and was buried and rose again from the dead. So, just like it's been in other cases, it is immersion in water. That's what we see happening in the book of Acts. Next Sunday, we're going to go through the beginning of Romans chapter 6. You see it in Colossians 2. And so, does this happen today? I'm going to say yes, and you can come and see it next week. Okay? Uh, so um, I'm trying to judge by facial expressions if my chart was helpful or not and I see some nods and then the rest of you I'm just gonna ignore because I want to feel good about it so um, so in in Jesus baptism we see that Jesus is the beloved son who was sent to fulfill God's plan by identifying with sinners taking our place being our substitute and so ultimately Jesus baptism is pointing us to the cross all right. Sometimes a- as I preach, I know that like I have to clarify some things, and, and I kind of turn on teacher mode and less preacher mode. And so maybe for some of you, like you're tuned into that part. There are some of you tuned out. You're like, I'm, I don't think I'm going to get it, and that's fine. You can try to explain it. I'm not going to get it. That's fine. Uh, but tune back in for this part, because this is, this is where the Word of God gets applied to us. I just talked to you about what was happening in that day? But now I want to talk to you about how this applies to us, And just one here today. John, John is one of my heroes. Um, pe- people have lots of different heroes. A lot of times, people talk about like uh, like an athlete's their hero. Maybe Caitlin Clark. She's really good at basketball. She's your like that's good. That's fine. John the Baptist is my hero. When I had a chance to. Uh, this is like a little over 10 years ago, I was the candidate to be the pastor at this church. Um, so, so long process, but kind of towards the end of that process, I get to preach a message. And like any message you want, just preach a message to the church from the Bible. I chose to preach from John's gospel, the account of John the Baptist and his ministry, because John is one of my heroes. I, I love the way that John reminds me that I must decrease and Christ must increase. That's the aim of my ministry of my life. I must decrease, Christ must increase. I love John because he boldly, ev- boldly tells the truth, even if it lead- leads to his head being literally put on a platter. I love John because he takes the spotlight that everybody wants to shine on him, and he just knocks that thing around and says, no, no. Look at Jesus. He is mightier. He is worthy. He is the Savior. He is the judge. Look at Jesus. I love John the Baptist and his ministry, his faithfulness to do exactly what God called him to do. So what can we learn today from looking at the ministry of John the Baptist? Well, we need to know this. We can't save people. Maybe you'd like to. I would, maybe, but we can't. Only Jesus can do that, but can we be used by God to prepare them for salvation in Jesus? Yes. How? That's what we can learn from John. First, we notice this. We must point out sin and call for repentance. We must point out sin. Listen, we live in a world where most people think that they are pretty good people. And their people are pretty good people. And the other people are the bad people, whoever the other people are. That's the world that we live in. We live in a world where, where the, the kind of underlying current is you do you, right? You do you. My, we live in a my kid can't do anything wrong kind of world. We live in a self-righteous, semi-religious, greedy, selfish kind of world. And I'm not just pointing at like the world out there. That's that's in us, and that comes out of us. That's the world that we live in. And a lot of people in the world kind of have this understanding like, yes, there's sin and evil in the world, but that's what other people do. I'm not perfect, I know, but I'm pretty good. So while we may not begin by calling people a brood of vipers and talking about the wrath of God in the second sentence, we do need to at some point bring out the reality that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Right? That's one thing we learn from the ministry of John the Baptist. If I went to the doctor, and the doctor told me, you, you need to put your life on hold, let your work know you're going to be off for a while because we're going to start chemotherapy next week. You're going to feel miserable, your hair will fall out, but you will extend your life through this. That sort of sounds like good news, except for it's a little confusing to me because I've never been diagnosed with cancer. Right? Like, I—that's <laughs> I, that, great that you've got a cure, but like, I don't—I don't, I don't have—I don't have the disease. I don't have the need for it. Similarly, we can't just go around just talking to people about Jesus right away, without helping them to realize the prognosis, the diagnosis that they've received. Wait, I've, I've got a problem. I've got a problem. And, and if it's not dealt with, I'm going to die. I'm, I'm going to face eternal punishment if I don't deal with my problem, sin. Right, And, and if people aren't willing to, to acknowledge that, then chemotherapy doesn't sound like good news. The gospel doesn't sound like very good news. I'm going to give you a quote. You tell me who said it. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Jesus, right? A lot of people kind of have this understanding of Jesus being really kind of soft. Like, oh, John was like that, but Jesus would never. Yeah, he did. He talked about that kind of thing a lot. Unless you also repent, you likewise will perish, Jesus said. So we must point out sin and call for repentance and then we must point people to Jesus. (laughs) We don't just run around with megaphones yelling at people that they're sinners like we're the ones who have it all together and they better get it all together. No, we see ourselves for who we really are. We acknowledge our own sin and we know that apart from God's grace I've got no hope myself. And that helps us kind of See the playing field is a little bit more level. Like John, we must point people to Jesus. We must be convinced and then share with other people. Oh, Jesus is mightier. Jesus is more worthy. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the judge. I love that simple song we sang earlier, Jesus strong and kind. Jesus said that if I thirst, I can come to him. People need to know, no one else is going to satisfy We've got a lot of people in our world chasing all sorts of things that they think will satisfy. None of them have been working out really well so far. We need to let them know, listen, you're thirsty, and only Jesus can satisfy. Jesus said, if I am weak, then I can come to him. No one else can be my strength. We've got a lot of people thinking, like, I can beat this. I can, like, whatever it might be. I've got hard stuff in front of me, but I'm a fighter but I think a lot of people recognize that deep down they're a lot weaker than the facade they put on in front of other people. And Jesus said, if I am weak, you can come to me. No one else can be your strength. And we share that message with people. Jesus said that if I fear, and we've got a lot of people living in a lot of fear all around us, but Jesus said we can come to him. No one else can be our shield. And the really good news Jesus said that if I'm lost, and there's a lot of lost people all around us. Some of you maybe even in here today. And the good news is, Jesus said that if I'm lost, he will come to me, and he showed me on the cross that he will come to me. So I want you to come back on good Friday that we can have our attention directed to the cross. We can come back on Sunday our attention directed to the resurrection. And in both of those cases, what that means for us. We are sinners, desperately in need of a Savior. And Jesus has come to save those who are lost. You have not yet been saved through faith in Jesus. Know that that your family you were born into is not going to save you. Some religious ritual you've been through is not going to save you. It is by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And if you have not yet repented of sin, I, I ask that you would, you would do that. That you would before God, you don't have to like, hey, here, here's the words that you say, and these are just like, no, you just before God confess your sin, acknowledge your sin before Him, recognizing that Jesus is the only one who has lived the life that you failed to live and died the death you deserve to die. And the only way you can have victory over sin and death is through faith in Jesus. So put your faith in him today and be saved. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us to be a people who this week look to Jesus again and again and again. Because we still are weak. We still are fearful. We're thirsty. And God, we want to be people who in our thirst, in our fear, in our weakness, run to Jesus. God, I pray that You would even bring to our mind people that we might invite to come with us on Friday, to come with us on Sunday. That we might help people hear, believe the good news that Jesus comes to save the lost. And Father, I thank You for fulfilling Your promise by sending John to prepare the way for people to turn to Jesus for salvation. And I pray that You would help us to be like John as we point out sin, as we call for repentance, as we point other people to Jesus. Help us to turn our eyes to Jesus even now while we sing a song that tells us to do that. Help us to turn our eyes to Jesus in his death. Help us to turn our eyes to Jesus